Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The We Just Want to Give Gratitude. Yeah. Edition. That's an Earth, Wind, and Fire song, in case you're interested, as we take a quick break from football and gluttony to discuss the latest Bengals news and look ahead to Sunday's game against the Giants. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the rehab process for Joe Burrow and who will start in his place this week. My one-on-one player interview this week is with C.J. Uzama, who knows all about rehab after tearing his Achilles in week two. He looks forward to pushing and being pushed by Joe Burrow in the months to come. And in our Know the Foe segment, we'll get the scoop on the three and seven Giants from Jordan Renan, who covers the team for ESPN. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since essential and frontline workers. On a previous podcast, I mentioned that during the COVID-19 pandemic, I've tried to keep two words in mind, careful and hopeful. And on this Thanksgiving, I'm adding grateful to our everyday heroes who have been there for us during this crisis. Doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers, police, firefighters, and other first responders, teachers, grocery store employees, delivery people, news broadcasters. The list goes on and on. Thank you. And here's hoping that the end of this pandemic is in sight. Now, let's get to my Turkey Day conversation with Dave Lapham. Lap the Ryan Finley era might have been short-lived. At 8 a.m. on Wednesday, Mike Garofolo from the NFL Network broke the news that the Bengals' starting quarterback on Sunday will be third stringer Brandon Allen instead of Ryan Finley. Zach Taylor would not confirm that when asked about it on Wednesday. But in any case, Brandon Allen just promoted from the practice squad where he has been all year. He started three games for Denver last year, winning one with a passer rating of 68.3. He's had very few practice reps this year, but he was with the Rams in 2017 and 2018. So he knows Zach Taylor's offense. Here's offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. Part of the reason we signed Brandon uh, is because he's, He's got some familiarity with the system. Um, he's he's played, you know, he played in games in Denver last year for a three-game stretch and won one of them. And he's been around for a little bit. He's got a good way about him. And so he really was, you know, kind of our, our COVID quarterback in a sense, so the guy that we had to kind of have in the building and keep, keep bringing along to start. Um, and he's done a really nice job for what everything he's been asked to do. But, yeah, I mean, he's – He's in the same boat, really, as Ryan. No, I mean, neither one of them got a ton of reps as the season has gone along. And, um, and that's just the nature of, of being a backup quarterback. If Brandon Allen is, in fact, the starter on Sunday, what do you think that means? I think it means that the coaches have, you know, a, a strong comfort level with them. Uh, Zach Taylor has some experience with them. Uh, Brian Callahan knows him, likes him, likes his approach. And, and that's about as big as, as anything, I think, is – which, which guy do you think the team is going to rally around most? Which guy has the more it factor in his personality that is going to lift everybody and, and make everybody play, play to a higher level? I think, I think those are all considerations. And those de- three starts in Denver, he beat the Cleveland Browns 26 to 10. Uh, Minnesota's up by four points. He takes on, on a drive late in the football game. A back shoulder pass to his tight end goes off the tight end's face mask should have won that football game and then they went to Buffalo and as you know Dan Buffalo with that crowd uh that's a tough place to play didn't win that one but went one and two should have gone and could have gone two and one so moved the football had some success and I think the feeling is that uh that he understands the offense and understands what defenses are trying to do to take away his offense maybe at a little bit higher level than Ryan Finley right now some people are making a big deal out of the fact that he's on the practice squad and Ryan Finley was on the roster this year. That is virtually insignificant because the rules have changed to allow you to bring up practice squad guys every week. Anyway, it might've simply been a matter of the Bengals saying, Hey, we think other NFL teams are more likely 
to try to take away Ryan Finley if they had a high draft grade on him last year, if he were on the practice squad, then they are likely to take away Brandon Allen. I agree with you, Dan. And look at uh, look at the guy that's come off the practice squad in their last three games that's given them a boost in their offensive line, Spain. You know, as you said, the rules and everything are so different this this season. He lines up at left guard against Tennessee. They win the football game. They don't give up a sack. They don't turn the football over. Then uh, he goes against the Pittsburgh Steelers at right tackle. It quits himself very well. And then last week, of course, against Washington, he goes and plays the right guard position, you know, very well. So where would they be without Quentin Spain? You know, and he's been coming off the practice squad for, for three games. And now they've activated him to the act to the roster. But uh, that's another good example of uh, this year is different. There's no question about it. 2020 is different in every way it can be. I want to get back to Quentin Spain in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk about Joe Burrow. The loss of Joe was obviously a gut punch to everybody in the organization. He is expected to make a full recovery and return to action next year, although it might not be in time for week one. He's been at the stadium this week in typical Joe Burrow fashion. He's been lifting the spirits of his teammates instead of the other way around. C.J. Uzama tore his Achilles back in week two, so he is likely to rehab with Burrow in the offseason. Listen to what he had to say about seeing Burrow in the training room. Today, I saw him in there, and um, he seems high-spirited, and, and he was asking a bunch of questions about, like, hey, can I do this? Hey, can I do this? Hey, can if I try to flex this right now, is that, can I, is that okay? And the trainer, Nick, was like, yes. Like, does that not hurt? And he's like, no, it feels, it feels a lot better already today. And I was doing the rest of my rehab and finishing up and Nick came, you know, to, to help me out. And he was like, that guy's a beast. Like that's insane that he's, his pain tolerance has to be ridiculous for that. Um, so hearing that in and of itself, I'm like, yo, hold up. Let's crank up my, my rehab real quick, man. I'm like, come on, like, what are we doing here? I don't feel anything either. Come on, push me a little harder. Um, but no, I think, I think it'll be, I think it's good. You know, obviously traveling restrictions, I'm going to be pretty much, planted here um throughout the entire offseason which I'm fine with um and now yeah I, that's another kind of person I can work you know work out with train with um I have my quarterback here so when he's on his feet you know I'm gonna say hey you got it's time to throw buddy like let's, let's go and then I know he's gonna be as eager to to get back out there so yeah I think you know it's that's the probably the only positive of 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 his injury is you know I get to rehab with with you know with my guy lap we are doctors but i have no doubt that burrow is going to attack rehab as much as humanly possible and be back as soon as possible i agree with you um i did see cj going into his rehab tuesday uh morning before he walked in there into the uh, locker room and and uh he was walking well dan and he told me he's a good week two weeks ahead of schedule as of right now so that could continue to progress in a positive way and to have a a rehab partner is significant. Um, and I do think you're right. I think Joe Burrow, not only a five-star recruit, but a five-star rehab guy, he's going to be one of those guys that attacks it. And the thing that you're going to have to be careful of with him, sometimes you can do too much. So there's that balancing act. They're not going to have to light a firecracker or a cherry bomb under Joe Burrow to get him to work. They're going to have to put a harness on him to pull him back, I think, a little bit to make sure that he doesn't overdo it, particularly in the early stages and have a setback. That's the worst word you can hear during a rehab process is, oh, he experienced a setback. Don't want to hear that. So there is, there is a, a point of diminishing returns, and I think he's smart enough to understand that and figure it out. But I agree with you. I think, I think if anything, he's going to come back early, and he's going to come back ready. And uh, you can't compare injuries, but uh, Carson Palmer tore the ACL and MCL and dislocated his patella, and he did it in January in a playoff game. And, uh, and, he, and he played in the third preseason game that following preseason in August. He played, played in the Pro Bowl and won MVP. So, you know, if that's a good – if that's a barometer, Joe Burrow should be in pretty good shape. The thing about it too, Dan, is he's young. He's in tremendous condition. So the healing process should be uh, pretty darn strong. Another comparison is Houston quarterback Deshaun Watson. He tore his ACL almost at the exact same point in his rookie year, November of his rookie year. He was back in time to start the season opener the next season and went to the Pro Bowl that year and the following year. 
I just want to say, you know, prayers out to Joe, uh, Joe Burrow and his family and, and just him and his team, uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, that's just a tough situation. I, I watched the play and it was just fast emotion. And, it, it, you know, that just kind of pitched things in perspective where, you know, it can be any play. Um, so you just got to be grateful for the position you're in, but, you know, sending my best wishes and prayers out to him and his family. And if he got any questions, you know, I dealt with the same thing my rookie year around similar time, um, you know, kind of November-ish, um, you know, he can always reach out to me and I can reach out to him. So yeah, prayers out to him, uh, you know, hopefully speedy recovery, but, uh, I, I would just say, you know, when I came back, it was just definitely making sure that I was, you know, a hundred percent. Um, and I was really, really comfortable, um, especially at this level where everything is flying around. Um, but, you know, once you're out there, you just got to play. You just got to play full throttle. You know, that's the, that's the part of the game. You kind of know what situation is going to happen. And, um, you know, for me, when my situation, when I did it in practice, I didn't know it was going to happen. And it happened. And when I came back, I was still, you know, I kind of started off, you know, a little shaky. But once after the first couple of plays, you know, I was just like, hey, I got to cut it loose. If not, then I'm a be a, you know, I'm going to be a burden for the team. And then for myself, too, I won't be able to play, you know, my full potential. What does Joe Burrow lose from missing the last six games of this season and the offseason program? Yeah, obviously loses uh, those those reps. And I was excited to see the rematch against Pittsburgh and Baltimore because Joe Burrow always learns from his mistakes. He doesn't make the same mistake twice. I think that's a big thing that has, has put him on a straight-up up, up arrow in terms of his career uh, is he is a, he's a, a quick learner, a quick study, and uh, doesn't fall into any bad habits and make, make mistakes over and over and over again. So he was disappointed in his performance after both of those football games. And you know how much of a grinder he is. He's probably going to grind even more before those football games. And, and I was looking forward to the, to the rematches, both you know, in Cincinnati, uh, one of them on Monday night, one of them to finish the season and see how far he has progressed. So I think that's a little bit of a disappointment. I, I'm sure it's a disappointment to him. And then all the reps. I mean, every rep that you accumulate is a positive, you know, in your rookie year. Now, he did get 10, 10 games of reps in, there's no question. And he got those 10 games of reps in in the crazy year of 2020, where there were no OTAs, no mini camps, all those kind of things, which he'll miss probably this year as well coming up. So he's at least got a track record of showing I can't perform at a high level without that, but it would have been good for him to have an off season of, you know, uh, working with his teammates, mini camps, uh, OTAs, training camp, preseason games. How much of that will he be able to experience? That's uh, that's the big question. That's the that's the million dollar question right now. But uh, he has shown that he can perform extremely well, even void of all that. It hurts the receiving core too, right? They won't have all those off-season reps to work on timing. No doubt about it. It's it's uh, you know guys like Tyler Boyd, you know, and, and, and others, T. Higgins. I mean, they they've found a nice little rhythm and uh, with with uh, Joe Burrow. But you can always improve on it. And then other receivers that are just in the infancy stages of that, it'll hurt them. There's no doubt, Dan. And uh, so, how much will it retard the development of Joe Burrow? I think he is so special in so many areas that it, it, it will be hurtful, but not absolutely devastating in terms of his development. People have been playing the blame game since Joe's injury. Some say the Bengals should have played a veteran quarterback early this year behind a shaky offensive line. Others say they shouldn't have passed so much. The most common criticism is that the Bengals have neglected their offensive line for too long. And that's what I want to discuss because the biggest problem, at least in my view, that has hampered this franchise isn't that they've neglected the offensive line. It's that their many attempts to fix it have not worked out. Three of their five number one draft picks before Joe Burrow were offensive linemen, Cedric O'Boyhe, Billy Price, and Jonah Williams. Only one of those guys is starting right now. They traded for Cordy Glenn, which was the equivalent of signing an expensive free agent. He had three years left on his huge deal. This would have been the final year of that, but he's out of the NFL. They signed Xavier Suofilo prior to this season. He got injured in week one. So not only has the line continued to struggle, but other positions have suffered because they've used high draft picks on the O-line that haven't necessarily panned out. So I guess the bottom line is they've got to do a deep dive 
into what's gone wrong and how to fix it going forward. Agreed uh, with every single word of your analysis there. Um, when the Bengals went to five straight playoffs, a club record, they hit it in the draft, pick after pick after pick, you know, not just first round, but, but all rounds, multiple rounds. But when you miss in that first rounder, like they have in the ones you've described, when you miss on those, it's painful. There's a huge ripple effect and there's ripple effect for years, not just the, that draft year, but if it doesn't pan out, you know, in a lot of times, first round, first round picks don't really perform uh, up to what you'd expect in the first year, but by year two or three, they're an integral part of the football team. And that, that is gone. That hasn't happened with a lot of these guys. So the, the ripple effect is like you said, like you say, not only did the position that those guys were drafted in uh, either stay flat or decline because of the uh, ineffectiveness of, of the play of that pick, but other positions that you could have made a pick at uh, aren't, aren't improved either. So when you miss with a pick that high, the ripple effect is tremendous and it's tremendous for a number of years. And I think that's what the Bengals are still, you know, trying to uh, steady themselves from at this point in time. And yeah, for whatever, whatever the process is, you need to take it apart, examine every portion of it, reassemble it and go from there. So they're likely to have a really high pick in the draft. Right now, they're number three in the draft order. We keep going back and forth in recent weeks when we've discussed this. Do you need a pass rusher, a defensive lineman? Do you need an offensive lineman? In light of the Joe Burrow injury, do you think best offensive lineman on the board now becomes the most likely scenario? I think if the best offensive lineman on the board is better than the best pass rusher on the board, boom, make it right. You, you make that pick. Because I do think they're equally, um, you know, the needs are astronomical in, in both areas. So uh, I, I think, you know, if the, if the tackle from Oregon, for example, is better than whoever they've got as the best pass rusher on their board at the third pick of the draft, you go with this six foot six inch, 340 pound behemoth that's athletic and, uh, you know, they project to be a superhero and in uh, everything that goes along with it. So. Um, yeah, I'd, I would have no problem if, if they went with offense, they, if they had the third pick in the draft and they went in that direction, I'd have no issue with it whatsoever. I want to get back to Quentin Spain, who you brought up earlier, because that's really the one offensive line move in recent months that's worked out extremely well. He's 29 years old. He was a free agent in October after being let go by Buffalo. Back in 2016, Pro Football Focus had him ranked as the number five guard overall in the NFL. Wow. His rankings have never been that high in his other seasons, but do you think they found a starting guard, a good starting guard that's going to be here for a few years? I think I think they've, they've found something for sure, Dan. I mean, he came into the league, he calls himself, you know, Mr. Undrafted because he entered the draft thinking it would be a very high pick, maybe even a first round pick and went undrafted. So he had a chip on his shoulder as big as a two by four, massive chip. And he's used it to his advantage. And I like everything about the guy. I mean, he's massive, you know, six five, 330 pounds plus, depending on what he has for pregame meal. Um, and he's, he's one of those guys that has an edge to him. You know, he's got that, that streak about him where you have to, he, he's, you know, he's probably a heck of a guy off the football field, but on the football field, and I'm aware of what you have to do, you have to flip the switch and you have to become somebody that you can't be walking the streets. You know, I mean, it's a, that's the way you have to play the game. And he plays it that way. The other thing about him is not just his, his mindset and his physicality and the edge that he brings to the football team, the toughness, he is unbelievably football aware. He sees the big picture. He's not a tunnel vision guy. It's not like, okay, well, they have me playing left guard against Tennessee, so I'm going to just understand that left guard. He sees the entire defense. He understands how the offense is trying to attack it uh, with blocking schemes up front. And he, and he just, if he pulls, he knows the center is blocking back, the tackle's blocking down, the, the back is filling. He knows what's going on. If he pulls, he, you know, it's not just, I'm going to pull, I'm going to hit this guy. What else is happening? When I pull, who's got my guy? If this guy... Uh, that I'm supposed to block uh, stunts. Who else do I get? I mean, he he gets football. He is football aware. 
And I think that that has allowed him to play left guard, right tackle, and right guard in his three games with the Cincinnati Bengals to date. He is one of the big picture guys, and, and to boot, he can play. So he gives you position versatility, and uh, that's, that's tremendously valuable. Instead of carrying eight offensive linemen with Quentin Spain, you can carry seven. Instead of carrying nine, you can carry eight. I mean, it just gives you that, uh, that dimension where he's shown he can play both guards and both, uh, both tackles. I don't know about center, but he's shown he can play the guard and tackle position on either side. For most of his NFL career, he's been a left guard. That's obviously the spot that Michael Jordan is playing in Cincinnati. And the Bengals had high hopes that Michael would take a big step forward this year in his second year in the NFL and eventually be a really good guard. Where do you see him at this stage of his development? Unfortunately, uh, still a little too inconsistent. You know, you can pull tape where it's like, whoa. I mean, he, he did some things against the Indianapolis Colts. He had a much better day against Cameron Hayward this year, even though it didn't go well for the team. His individual matchup was light years better than it was his rookie year where he was just decimated by Cam Hayward and it basically got him benched, you know, sit back and look for a little while and, uh, and, and readdress everything. So, I mean, there, there, are, there are games like that. And then there are times where, you know, he just, he lapses a little bit and doesn't, uh, doesn't play to that level. So, I think just like any young player, you have to realize that it can't be just some of the time. It has to be all the time. You have to, you have to be very, very consistent with your approach and your execution to it. And nobody feels worse about Joe Burrow's injury, I can tell you for a fact, than Michael Jordan. And one of the things that, uh, you know, you can, you can claim, I mean, he got bear hugged. Defensive tackle bear hugged and walked him back. Defensive tackle is not supposed to be able to hold like that either. I mean, you could have called who cares about a penalty, though, if the end result is your quarterback gets his knee shredded. And at that point, the reason it happened is Michael's pad level was too high. And he's a big, strapping, strong, long guy. Got to keep the pad level down. That's that's a big factor for him uh, when he has issues. In my mind, it's because that's one of the biggest things is his pad level is too high. So he has to consistently work to play at a lower level. All right, let's turn to the final six weeks, whether it is Brandon Allen or Ryan Finley at quarterback. Chances are the Bengals are not going to be scoring 30 points a game. So to win games from here on in, the defense is going to have to play great. Uh, it's currently 22nd in the NFL in points allowed, 27 points per game. Here is safety Jesse Bates. You know, with Joe being hurt, um, yes, we're going to have an opportunity at the quarterback spot for you know, whether it's Finley or whoever it is um, you know, to make an impact. Um, but the, the standard for the defense just has to raise 10 times more uh, with, you know, that, that part being out. Um, and it's something that's not, you know, a secret, um, something that we got to address in the room. Um, you know, we're going to win games because of our defense uh, these next couple weeks. So very excited for the challenge. Lap, this week they face the Giants. Giants are not a good offensive team. They're 30th in scoring. They're 30th in yards. They are next to last in sacks allowed per passing play. This is an opportunity, at least in the first game post Joe Burrow, for the defense to carry the Bengals to a win. It is. And, uh, you know, Jones is a turnover machine. You know, in 23 starts, he's got like 35 giveaways in terms of lost fumbles and, uh, and interceptions. He fumbled the ball 18 times last year and lost 11 of them. So that's, you know, that that's, if a guy has a reputation for that kind of thing, you have to try to uh, separate him from the football and others. The, the, one, one of the biggest things that the defense has to work on, Dan, is forcing fumbles. They've only forced four. Fewest in the NFL, they've recovered one, tied for fewest in the National Football League. So the suddenness, fumbles occur when a, a, a player is – you know, protecting the ball, but he, he sees somebody and he's trying to protect the ball from one guy and in comes another, puts his helmet right in the ball and he never sees him coming. And, and the suddenness of that is too much for the player to, to counter. So the Bengals are going to have to do more of that type of thing. One guy set it up, another guy come in for the, for the kill shot to, course, to cost the turnover. And, and they're going to have to do a lot more of that. They're going to have to separate players from the football, whether it's separating from an incompletion, separate them for a a ball that goes airborne, like the you know tipped interception off of Marcus Hunt's face mask, or a tip ball at the line of scrimmage from a defensive lineman, or and not just in uh, defense but special teams. 
you know, you, the defense and, and, and special teams have to think not only special teams establishing field position, but score, you know, maybe get a return, take a return back to the house, punt or kickoff return. Maybe you force a fumble on a return of the opposition, give a short field defensively, force a fumble, get a short field, get an interception, get a pick six, pick a phone bump and score. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily play every snap to try to do that because it'll distort what you're really trying to do. You have to make sure you do your job, but try to try to get more involved from a gang perspective, more guys involved in around the football as the old saying goes. And I believe in a hundred thousand percent, you see it over and over again. When you run to the football as a defensive football team, good things happen. And they're going to have to create some good things and make good things happen to, you know, the worst thing that you can have happen is whoever's at quarterback, even Joe Burrow, not start his own five yard line, 10 yard line inside the 20 and have to drive long field. You have to give them positive field position and, and put the other team on the long field. You have to play long, long field for the opposition, short field for your football team. However, that occurs, you're going to have to do everything you possibly can to support who's playing quarterback, because even with the excellence of Joe Burrow at quarterback, the team was two, seven and one. Did you play a lot of Thanksgiving day football? in your childhood? I did, uh, out on the front lawn. Uh, we were, yeah, we were, we were doing that left and right. I have, uh, two brothers had a lot of boys in the neighborhood and, uh, we, we played, we played a quite a bit of football. We played tackle football without pads, you know, out at old daggers field, man, we'd all, <laughs> but we go to daggers field and appropriately named, uh, Mr. Dag Mr. Dagger had a big farm and he let us, he let us use a part of it to, uh, to play all kinds of sports, you know, out there. And, uh, and it was great, man. Those are great memories. All right. Well, I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving day. My best to Lynn and your family, uh, crush that meal. All right. I will. You do the same, Dan, same to, uh, to Peg and yours. And, and, uh, and I'm telling you, let's have the happiest Thanksgiving we've ever had because this year, this year is crazy. It's different, but there's still a lot of things to be thankful for and families first and foremost. You too. See you, Dan. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for this week's one-on-one -on -one player interview. This week, I caught up with tight end C.J. Uzama. We heard a small snippet of that interview earlier. C.J. caught Joe Burrow's first NFL touchdown pass in Week 2 against Cleveland before suffering a season-ending injury the same night. CJ, it's been a little bit more than two months since you tore your Achilles. How are your spirits and what are you able to do in terms of rehab at this point? Spirits are where they are for, you know, considering I have an injury and I'm not able to be out there with the boys and, you know, helping the team fight for, for wins. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it is where it is with that. But in terms of rehab, I think I'm pretty ahead of schedule. I am out of the boot. I'm, I'm walking a fair amount. I just got a puppy, so I'm walking him a lot, and that's good rehab, they said. So it's it's good that he's kind of a handful. Um, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pool workouts and, and a bunch of different exercises. I actually have a, a call with the doctor here in two, three weeks just to just so he can kind of see and monitor a, a session. And um, I've talked to him a little bit. And, um, yeah, the, the trainers, and, and he seemed very optimistic about, you know, the direction I'm headed headed. In and, and how kind of ahead of schedule I am. What kind of puppy and what did you name him or her? Um, so I got a, um, a St. Berdoodle um, and I got him because he's hypoallergenic and I named him Appa. Um, and I'm actually gonna get him a, a little brother or sister or a brother or sister soon because I'm gonna adopt one as well just, just so he has kind of, uh, you know, someone, someone to hang out with while I'm out doing rehab and working out. Was the Uzama family a dog family? Did you have dogs growing up? No, I, I didn't have one dog. I didn't have a pet. I had, well, I had like a turtle um, and some fish. And that was it. That was, that was all I had growing up. My parents are really, you know, keen on not no, having no hair in the house and no fur and all this other stuff. So um, first, first like pet that I'm having to actual, actually take care of, take care of. And um, he's been good so far. He's been good. He's growing like crazy, but he's been really good. 
I'm sure you will enjoy it. We're visiting with C.J. Uzama. Back in your rookie year, C.J., you were teammates with Leon Hall, who tore his Achilles twice and made a complete comeback both times. Do you draw inspiration from him or anybody else that's overcome this injury? Yeah, I mean, looking looking at it now, um, I know KD is, is battling this as well. And like you said, um, Leon with his and um, – Nick, you know, the, the, our training staff is great. Nick was like, you're, you're going to be completely fine. Like this is back in the day, this is something that, you know, people were more worried about because of what they were doing. But um, with, with what, what's been going on in modern, you'll be fine. You'll be completely fine. So, um, and then even seeing, you know, I'm a huge Chelsea fan. So even seeing some of the players last year, uh, you know, had this, had a similar injury and I'm, I've watched them on the pitch tonight or today. Um, in the Champions League, so one of them, one of them was out there, and uh, he actually scored a goal. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely okay with with how how the process is going, and I'm expected to be 110 percent by 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 the time I come out of this. Sadly, you were joined on the injured list this week by Joe Burrow. You are always positive, but how hard did that one hit you? Yeah, that that hurts. You know that that hurts because of kind of the person that he is off, off the bat and the leader that he is. And you can tell he's, I mean, it's obvious he's a leader because we voted him captain and, and he's a rookie, you know? So um, that, that definitely, you know, kind of is gut-wrenching and, and, you know, hurts to see, obviously no matter what, it hurts to see one of your guys go down, but to see it's your quarterback, to see it's Joe, to see it's a leader and a captain of your team, um, all those things and the severity of it, you know, that, that, that definitely is a gut punch. Um, and, you know, not being there is even 10 times worse. You know, I'm watching this on TV and I'm just like, man, I just want to, you know, give him some love, show him some love and, and watching the guys one by one, go up to him and tap him on the head and, and say, you know, you know, say they're praying for him and things like that. Um, you know, that's what it's all about, but yeah, it definitely, that, that, that's, that's a tough one. I don't know how COVID restrictions could impact this, CJ, but do you envision the possibility of you and Joe helping to push each other through rehab? Oh, 100%. I think today I saw him in there and um, he seems high-spirited and, and he was asking a bunch of questions about like, hey, can I do this? Hey, can I do this? Hey, can if I try to flex this right now, is that, can I, is that okay? And the trainer, Nick was like, yes like does that not hurt and he's like no it feels it feels a lot better already today and I was doing the rest of my rehab and finishing up and Nick came you know to, to help me out and he was like that guy's a beast like that's insane that he's his pain tolerance has to be ridiculous for that um so hearing that in and of itself I'm like yo hold up let's crank up my my rehab real quick man like come on like what are we doing here I don't feel anything either come on push me a little harder um but no, I think, I think it'll be, I think it's good. You know, obviously traveling restrictions, I'm going to be pretty much planted here um, throughout the entire all season, which I'm fine with. Um, and now, yeah, I, that's another kind of person I can work, you know, work out with, train with. Um, I have my quarterback here. So when he's on his feet, you know, I'm going to say, Hey, you got it. It's time to throw buddy. Like, Let's, let's go. And, and I'm, I know he's going to be as eager to, to get back out there. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's, that's the, probably the only positive of, 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 of his injury is, you know, I get to rehab with, with, you know, with my guy. A couple more questions for CJ Uzama. Immediately after your injury, you were back in the building going through team meetings, much to the surprise of your buddy, Giovanni Bernard. Mm -hmm. Why has that been so important to you? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's been tougher now with all these things that are going on and, you know, zoom when not to zoom. Um, when we're on, you know, when people can come into the building, it's, 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 it's crazy, but yeah, I don't know. I just uh, thinking about our team and how really we're a young team, you know, when, when I think about it and especially at the tight end position, I'm the oldest guy in there, which is super weird to me still. Um, I just feel like it's good to, you know, let everyone know that one, I'm going to, I'm back next year. Like I'm, I'm, I expect to make a full recovery. So I want to know everything that's going on, but to just give any guidance to anybody that has a question or, um, you know, just make my presence known, say something going, you know, the, the toughest part is not being able to, you know, 
congratulate someone when they make a good play or something, right? So I'm watching film, I'm seeing catches that are made, I'm going up to people, I'm texting people like, hey, I saw you, that was that was nice, I see you out there and things like that. So, um, you know, it is, these are, these are guys that, you know, I spend majority of my life with. I, I don't, my parents, I get to like see for Thanksgiving maybe or Christmas, things like that. But other than that, I'm planted here and, you know, um, these are my brothers. So I, I have that connection with them. I want to be a part of, you know, any success that we have and, you know, all the failures that we have. I, I'm a part of this team and I kind of just want everyone to know that, you know, I'm here if they need anything. Last thing for CJ Uzama. I know you would rather be playing, but the injury has given you some time that you otherwise wouldn't have, allowing you, among other things, to make an appearance recently on the London is Blue podcast. For fans of Chelsea's Premier League Soccer Club, tell me about that opportunity. That was honestly, that was, it was awesome. Uh, they, they had reached out to me um, a while ago too, actually. And we just weren't able to ever, you know, get on schedule with it. And um, yeah, being able to talk about Chelsea and, and um, you know, get in touch with people that love Chelsea as much as I do and want to go over and watch matches and, it was awesome. Um, you know, those guys are, you know, Nick, Brandon, Dan, they're, they're all awesome guys. And, and, you know, they're like, Hey, if, if we can get you back on the show, I'm like, Hey, I'll, I'll definitely be back um, with, you know, hopefully traveling permitted and, and rehab permitted. I can go over to a match with them. And uh, it was, it was good. It was good banter that we had. And um, I was probably one of my, you know, one of my, favorite interviews i've had too many with you to, to to count but um no offense taken it was it was it was it was fun to be able to kind of talk talk soccer as well you know talking about football is something that i love doing because you know I, i've been doing it since i was six but being able to talk about another sport that i have you know great admiration for is is um something that i'll, I'll always enjoy well look out for leicester city because my beloved foxes are looking really good this year they are look hey, they are looking good. I, I I'd say um it's between for me right now, it's between Chelsea, uh Leicester, and then I don't wanna I don't wanna say this team at all, but Tottenham is also putting on a strong campaign. So we'll see how it how it finishes. Great to catch up with you, CJ. Uh, continued uh, good fortune with the rehab, and we look forward to seeing you back on the field soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Now time for our Know the Foe segment. The New York Giants are three and seven. That means they're a half game better than the Bengals, but it also means they're only a half game behind the first place Eagles in the NFC East. Jordan Renan covers the Giants for ESPN and joined Lap and Wayne Box Miller this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Yeah, they're three and seven. They got two in a row. They're right in the middle of that division. <laughs> right in the thick of it, yes, sir. Right. Every, you know, everybody's got three. <laughs> I mean, yeah, think about it. You put them in, like, the, you know, the AFC North, they're, like, their season's over. Exactly. Like, you know, four back, basically. Exactly. Yeah, I looked at the, you know, the uh, conference, and I said 11 of the 12 teams outside of that division would be in first place if they were in the NFC East. Let's <laughs> put that in perspective. <laughs> that's just crazy. It's, it's very 2020, though. That's it's very apropos. Right. There's right. no doubt. No Spe doubt. Speaking of apropos, this team has been in, you know, outside the uh, San Francisco 49er game and maybe yeah. the end of the Steeler game they've been in every game that they played yeah I mean that's the one thing you look at this team and I think that's why people I and, and I'm on board with this as well you see progress from Joe Judge the new first year head coach and the program he's building I mean they, they not only have they been in all their games they really should have won and, and I'm not somebody who sits there and say you, you know it makes excuses that you should win but they blew two games big time like, you know, games that they absolutely 100% should have won. So, yeah, the Giants could easily be 5-5 uh, five and five right now. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's out of the question. Easily, you know, 4-6 and six definitely uh, sh should be, like, their minimum. So, yeah, this is a team that has shown good flashes. I mean, they're not explosive offensively. Uh, I think right now, as it stands, there's two teams that have scored less points than them and that is the Bears and the Jets. But yet the Giants have still managed to stay in a bunch of games and lead a lot of games late. And now they, they claim they're just finally figuring out 
how to win games and how to finish, and that's the difference here in these last few weeks. And, and that speaks to the uh, the Giants' defense. I think a lot of people think that, that the Giants may have the best defense in the NFC East overall. I mean, they're sixth in the league in rushing. Yeah. And they're only allowing uh, four yards of carry, which is eighth best in the league. So, you know, they stop the run and then kind of go from there. And is it that? Is their defense, uh, you know, keeping them in a lot of football games? Yeah, I mean, their defense has been consistently competitive. And for a while, I was on the board with, you know, well, teams that could pass the ball and sling it around the yard could still be very successful against them. They have, they have some warts on defense. They have trouble in the slot. They have trouble with their second cornerback. And, you know, the reality is this is going to be like their fifth. I think this is their fifth backup quarterback they're basically playing this year. So you thought, okay, once they start playing some real quarterbacks, they'll get torn apart. But then they went against Tom Brady, and they held their own. Tom Brady was, yeah. was out of sorts that whole first half. Yeah. Uh, Carson Wentz, even though I know he's uh, he's been shaky slash bad this year, uh, you know they did a really good job against him in, the, in, the, in their last game. So, yeah, the defense has managed to go from a unit that has been really bad the last couple of years to, okay, they're about middle of the road now, somewhere around there. They're really good against the run, but if you want to exploit them, you can have some some, some success against the pass. And really, that's going to be the question here: Can the Bengals be successful in the pass game? They have a lot of receivers that can that are you know is a good matchup against some of the Giants' cornerbacks and defensive backs. But can they take advantage of that with Brandon Allen at quarterback and and you know with the Giants you know feeling better about themselves lately? You know, when I look at the game against the Philadelphia Eagles and you had 13 quarterback hits and Leonard Williams had five of those, uh, going up yeah. against a quarterback that doesn't have the experience uh, this coming week, I got to believe that that's an area that they're really going to be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, look, that's where the Giants – the Giants don't have a great pass rusher, right? They don't have an edge rusher that's going to scare you. Mm-hmm. Where they can have some success, their best pass rusher is probably Leonard Williams. So – the Eagles' problem this year has been at the guard position, you know, up the middle. And so that's where they were able to exploit Philadelphia. Uh, I, you know, it, that's where the, the matchup here for the Giants, they could probably have some success there as well. So Leonard Williams is kind of the guy as the pass rusher. He leads the team with five sacks that you need to keep an eye on because he, he's the only one in there. It's not like they have multiple guys. He's the only one in there on that interior that's really going to threaten you and scare you in regards to pass rush. Like, they're good against the run. They're stout against the run in there. Leonard Williams is the guy as the pass rusher from the interior that if you're the Bengals, you say, okay, we need to make sure. We, if we could limit this guy, if we could stop this guy, and, and Leonard Williams, to be quite honest, he's been a guy who's been up and down most of his career. He hasn't been consistently dominant, even though he's been a, he was a really high pick by the Jets. If, if they can limit him, you know, they, they should be able to have – to give Brandon Allen enough time if he's able to read the defense correctly. And that's another thing the Giants have done really well. Patrick Graham, he was with the the Dolphins last year. He knows Joe Judge from New England. Mm -hmm. He has done a really good job, and the Giants have done a really good job. They bring – they're going to show Brandon Allen looks that he's probably never seen before. I mean, they're going to show him every look you can imagine. That's what they do anyway on a regular basis. They're extremely multiple. They're going to show everything and try to confuse the heck out of him. Yeah, he's uh, got that New England pedigree, 3-4 base, but they'll morph into just about everything and anything. And from one yep. week to the next, they look like a different uh, every a different football team, a different uh, scheme and philosophy. One thing They're that, not shy about admitting that either. They're, yeah. they're, they're a defense that is – they're going to do whatever is the best matchup for that week. They're totally matchup based. Right, right. And that's you have to have versatile players, smart players, just like the Patriots over the years have had yep. players that can you know morph into different responsibilities and roles, and that's what they're starting to do a good job of with the New York Giants. One thing that is very obvious uh, last year, minus seventeen in the turnover department. I mean, they just gave games away worse than the National yep. Football League. This year, it's dead even. You know, they fifteen takes, fifteen gives. They're protecting the football better. And I'm looking at their defense. They forced 16 fumbles, tied for second most in the league, and they've recovered seven of them, tied for seventh. And the Bengals, on the other hand, have only forced four fumbles, dead last in the league, only recovered one, tied for the fewest. So the Giants are showing themselves to be a lot more sudden, you know, in, in, in really separating people from the football. Has that been real evident? 
Yeah, you know what's funny? You mentioned those numbers, and I didn't even realize they're at even because the Giants early in the – I mean, Daniel Jones was turning it over like nothing early in the season. Like, that's kind of his, been his M.O. for most right. of the time he's been a starter. But these past two weeks, Daniel Jones, he started now 21 games. He has three games that he hasn't committed a turnover. Wow. Two of them have been the last two weeks. The Giants forced five turnovers against Washington two games ago. And I think we're plus two last week. So they're basically plus seven in the last two weeks alone. So they were minus seven up until two weeks, two games ago, not two weeks ago because they were coming up the bye week. Right. So this is really, this has really been the difference. If they can limit those turnovers, that's when this Giants team they can they can win games. If Daniel Jones is the one committing the turnovers, because like you said, the defense. They do enough to confuse the opponent that they're able to commit turnovers. They've been able to force a lot of fumbles, and they've also been able to, you know, create looks where their defensive backs get opportunities to make plays. And that's, you know, again, back to that New England point of view. They, if you look back at the history of Bill Belichick in New England, where obviously Joe Judge comes from, right? look at their positive and negatives in yep. turnovers. Yep. I mean, in fumbles alone. Yep. I mean, it's incredible how many more fumbles, and that's part of what they teach, right? I mean, the, the fumbles that they cause compared to the fumbles that they give up is just incredible in their favor. And and this Giants team has, has sort of morphed into that as well, as long as they can keep Daniel Jones from fumbling the football and turning it over himself. To put an uh, exclamation point on what you talked about, last year he started 13 games, fumbled it 18 times, led the league. Lost 11 yeah, of them. Yeah, it's a crazy number. Yeah, lost 11 of them. Had 12 interceptions. Had 23 giveaways in 13 games. That's a turnover machine. And then you add this year's uh, numbers to us. Now it's 23 total games. Has 25 fumbles. Lost 15 of them. And, and he's also got 21 interceptions. 36 turnovers in 23 games. Like you said, the last couple of weeks, it's gotten better. But, man, he's given teams a lot of opportunity. But in, in talking about him, He's the leading rusher by well over 100 yards. Jones yeah. is. So, I mean, what the heck's going on there? And, and I guess that 11-on-11, 11 11, him running the football, 11-on-11 11 11 football becomes difficult for defenses, I guess. Yeah, there's a few reasons for that. Number one is he's, he's sneaky fast, okay? Yeah. He's a really good athlete, and teams don't think he's going to pull it on that, uh, you know, read option. Yep. And he has, and he's turned it into some really big plays. So you have to be disciplined when you play against this Giants offense because he is a threat running the football. But part of the reason I think it's been such a success is because nobody was really expecting to see it much, right? The Giants had Saquon Barkley. He was their running game. But then they lose Saquon Barkley. They're they're kind of – you know, going through running backs, they can't settle on one. You know, Devontae Freeman was their starting running back for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, Deion Lewis was getting a lot of playing time. But now they finally settled in. Now Wayne Goldman is that guy. He's going to be their main ball carrier in this game. Right. So he's had success in recent weeks. So even though he might not be the leading rusher on the team, he's the guy you have to stop as a rusher. And then Daniel Jones is a guy you have to be disciplined because if you don't, if you sleep on him, he can turn that into a big play, and it's been a big part of the Giants' offense. They've needed to find ways to make explosive plays. Because when you look at – if you're the Bengals and you enter this game, you say, well, Evan Ingram's a, a pretty good tight end, but he's had a down year. He's not a great player. Sterling Shepard, quality player. Golden Tate, quality player. But at the end of his career, running back, no one in the Giants. Wayne Goldman's their main guy. But he doesn't – they don't have that guy that scares opposing defensive coordinators and keeps them up at night. So the Giants have had to, had to find ways to make explosive plays. Mm-hmm. One of the ways they found was, hey, let's get Daniel Jones in that, in that you know, read option, have him keep the ball, and we can make big plays out of that. And it, it's worked. It's, it's definitely worked, as you can tell by those numbers. Yep. Our guest, Jordan Renan from uh, ESPN, covers the Giants. And, you know, do you know um, – if people were surprised about his speed, I mean, obviously you guys scouted him and, and looked at the things that he did well, but do you think the league was pretty much sleeping on his speed? Because a couple of those runs, I know he had a, I think a 30-plus yard run against the Eagles and then the big run against... 80, yeah. Yeah, 80, and I, I think people were like, wait a minute, I didn't know this guy had that in the the, the quality yeah. box. Yeah, no, you know what? I don't think anybody really knew he had this because <laughs> you look at like the next-gen speeds, 
I mean, he's at the 22 mile per hour range, wow. 21, 22 miles per hour. I mean, you're talking about like what cornerbacks are. There's very few guys. I mean, Saquon Barkley barely hit 22 miles per hour very often. Yep. It's hard to do. Number one, well, I understand in part it was because you have to get a really long running start. Like, no, guys don't hit 22 miles per hour in a 10 mile, in a 10 yard stretch, right? Sure, sure. But. Still, for him to get to those speeds, I I was surprised, and I knew he was a good athlete. So, I mean, you, yes, I you kind of realized he was a good athlete, but you didn't realize when he gets a, a a running start and full speed and gets going that he can kind of kick it up to that gear. And what's funny about that is, in a way, is maybe he didn't know it either. He didn't realize he was trying to go faster. And then that's when the turf, you know, the turf monster came out right. in that play against the Eagles where he, he kind of, uh, you know, even he had a laugh about it afterwards because, uh, you know, he, 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 that, that was the one right in front of the whole nation to see of him to just fall on his face. But they also saw, and I think that should have opened eyes. It, that's why the Eagles, if you're the Eagles, you should, be, you should be slapping yourselves. Like, to let it happen again after that happened to you the first time and you saw how fast he was. Right. Then in this last game, to allow him to run for a touchdown. He should have run for another touchdown if it wasn't called back for penalty. Sometimes you run faster than you can, right? <laughs> he took, <laughs> took him to the ground. Uh, I guess I do it all the time. In my head, I'm running really I hear you. <laughs> and I see it on like a video camera, like, oh, my God, I'm old and slow. What the heck is that? <laughs> I hear you. Uh, question would be, with the, uh, the read option, has he done a good job with RPO, you know, putting the pass into a little play action off of that off of that read option, have an RPO? Yeah, you know, that's a wrinkle we haven't seen very often. But just, it's coming. And, uh, and you, you bring up a good point. I'm sitting here thinking, all right, at some point, you have to figure that's when they're going to whip it out, yep, right? Yep. So it's coming. Yep. It's just a matter of when at this point in my mind. Okay, you know, he's already – once teams start really playing it, and show that they're keying on it, that's when I think we're going to see, okay, here's the wrinkle of him actually throwing off it. You get the linebacker to freeze yep. or, you know, come – or, you know, th his eyes to come and, and and charge in, and then that's when you can hit a big play down that middle of the field. So, at some point, I do expect them to, to play off it. And, uh, you know, this week, coming off the bye week, that, that's a – that could be a prime uh, spot to do it. Don't forget to tune in to the Bengals Pep Rally Show Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.